The following contains disturbing content. Listener discretion is advised. I want to know more about Lindsay, so I speak with her friend, Vicki Mackey. I feel like anything I can do, you know, to help out, I owe that to my friend, so. <laughs> Vicky is about the same age as Lindsay would be, and living a similar life to the one she says Lindsay would be living now. I am uh, 39 years old, and I uh, am a mom. I have a four-year-old daughter. Uh, I have two Pomeranian puppies. Very important question. What are the names of your dogs? Pixie and Daisy. I wonder if there's some alternate reality where the daughter that you mentioned would be friends with Lindsay's kids. Exactly. Vicky says instead of attending Lindsay's funeral on February 9th, she should have been going to her wedding. A life that was cut way, way, way too short, and I so badly want this to be solved. Apart from a brief interview in 2008, Vicky hasn't spoken publicly about these events. She says she has concerns about speaking now, but feels compelled by dreams she's been having around the time she first sits down for an interview with Capital Daily. Lindsay's been really heavy on my mind lately. Like, I've been dreaming about her, and she's been very active. And I'm going through some issues right now in my life, and I almost feel like Lindsay is supporting me from the other side because she always was a support person for me. I feel like she's still with me. Lindsay was born in Victoria on November 2nd, 1983. Her father, Jeff, worked in real estate, and her mother, Evelyn, was a stay-at-home mom. I eventually speak with Evelyn, who didn't want her voice being broadcast, but told me Lindsay was, quote, such a happy little thing. She was smart. She was full of joy, end quote. Can I just move this mic a little bit? As for Lindsay's sister, Sarah, she says she was born on almost the same day as Lindsay, three years later. And you used to celebrate your birthdays together? It was a lot of fun. We never saw anything bad about it. We always really enjoyed getting together with each other's friends, usually Halloween-themed, of course, and so we got costumes and games. And Talking about really this is hard for Sarah, and she says her part of previous interviews has been left out before, something I'll come back to later. In a halting conversation, Sarah says some of the family's best times were spent at a lake north of Victoria. We had a trailer up at an RV park. I learned to swim because I wanted to keep up with my sister and the older kids. And we learned to kneeboard and ski and boogie board. And we had a sailboat at one time. So it was just really, really good memories up there. Eventually, Sarah says, she and Lindsay would drive to the lake together in Lindsay's first car. And she got a Suzuki sidekick that could take the roof off. And it wasn't a great car. It probably should have fallen apart. And to this day, like, my girlfriends and I still laugh about it because all the letters fell off. And it was called the Suzu. When Lindsay and Sarah were still young, Jeff and Evelyn split up, something I'm told had an impact on Lindsay. Despite the eventual divorce, Sarah says she and Lindsay remained close. So close, in fact, Sarah wonders if Lindsay didn't tell her everything. Because she was my protector, I don't think she'd ever tell me things of concern because she would never want me to worry. That's one of the reasons I want to talk to Vicky. She says she can't pinpoint the exact moment her and Lindsay's friendship began. They were just always running into each other. I remember, distinctly remember, um, 
being on a vacation in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. And then all of a sudden, I I walk by this girl and kind of recognize her, but then didn't know exactly who it was. And then I hear this big, Vicky, oh my gosh. (laughs) Vicky says the randomness of that encounter made it feel like their friendship was fate. No Facebook or anything like that. So it was harder to really connect with people. Uh, But we became really good friends after that. When Facebook eventually did come along, becoming publicly available in 2006, Lindsay set up a fan page for her sister and an account for her mom. And I eventually find Lindsay's Facebook bio, according to someone she used to work with. Here's my colleague once again. Extremely adorable. Loves to joke. Very good sense of humor. Will try almost anything once. Loves to be pampered. Energetic. After typing some of these words into a search engine, I see results for horoscopes relating to Lindsay's astrological sign, Scorpio. Loves being in long relationships. Talkative. Loves to party, but at times to the extreme. Loves the smell and feel of money and is good at making it, but just as good at spending it. Very protective over loved ones. Hard worker. Can be a good friend, but if is disrespected by a friend, the friendship will end. Romantic. Caring. Vicky says she was one of Lindsay's many Facebook friends. Being such a social person, she was definitely into Facebook, and I had a Facebook relationship with her too. <laughs> I can even go back and look. As we're talking, Vicky pulls up her own Facebook account. Let me go into my messages. Hold on. To her surprise, Vicky says she still has the private messages she exchanged with Lindsay. Oh my goodness, yeah, it's all here. Including their last correspondence. Wow, this is kind of creepy. The messages are from late January 2008, around the time the plan to end Lindsay's life began to rapidly unfold. In the messages, Lindsay talks about the bachelorette party, sometimes referred to as a stagette in Canada, planned for February 2nd. Okay, this is her talking to me. I really need your assistance getting a stagette organized for D. Deanna Shu, or D, is the mutual friend who was getting married. Somewhat a surprise. Please help. And you better come. XOXO. Vicky says she wrote back. Saying, of course, my love, is it going to be in Victoria or Vancouver? Of course I'd love to come. I'll call you after work tonight. Vicky. According to Vicky, she didn't end up attending the bachelorette party. And as we already know, neither did Lindsay. So that was my last correspondence with her. I just got a little bit of a a very weird feeling because I've never done that before. The next time Vicky says she heard about Lindsay was the following morning, February 3rd, when news of her death began to break. These clips are from CTV News, CTV Vancouver Island, and Global News. Lindsay Buziak was a beautiful 24-year-old real estate agent who was found stabbed to death in a Saanich home she was showing... The shocking Lindsay nature Buziak of the crime remains unsolved. Buziak was lured to this house by a woman and man who claimed to be prospective buyers. This is what they say. They say this was a targeted attack for the purpose of killing Lindsay. The biggest challenge of the investigation is that people have information about this murder. However, those people haven't come forward. We urge anyone with information to come forward and speak to our Thank you.
Hi, my name is Jimmy Thompson. I'm the editor at Capital Daily, Victoria's in-depth, independent news source. The story you're listening to is the product of years of work, hundreds of hours of interviews, hard-won court documents, and it's only one of the many important stories we're doing at Capital Daily. We've got stories on the healthcare crisis, policing, the environment, housing, and so much more. Our daily newsletter captures everything that's happening in Greater Victoria in one email. You can get it in your inbox every morning by signing up at capitaldaily.ca slash newsletter. I also contact Matt McDuff, Lindsay's boyfriend before Jason Zalo. In a brief phone call, Matt says he'll answer questions but doesn't want to sit down for an interview. He says he has no idea what Lindsay was doing in the last year or so of her life, and says police told him they knew he and Lindsay had no contact for a year prior to her murder. Matt also says he took a lie detector test and told police about his alibi. On Dateline NBC, I see that correspondent Josh Mankiewicz says that Lindsay, quote, called police about Matt at least three times, end quote, but Matt tells me he never had any issues with the police and Lindsay, and that when he spoke to the SPD about whether they had been summoned at least three times, he was told his name had only been, quote, written down once. End quote. I reach out to the SPD regarding Matt's account, but they decline to comment. I also reach out to Dateline, as I'll get into more later, but they don't respond directly. Even so, Matt acknowledges to Dateline host Josh Mankiewicz that his and Lindsay's relationship was stormy. Based seemingly on that, Josh asks Matt if he was involved in Lindsay's murder, and Matt says no. After Lindsay and Matt had broken up, Lindsay started dating her boyfriend at the time of her murder, Jason Zalo, who she had met previously at a real estate tutoring workshop. I call Helen Jones, the realtor who used to tutor both students, who says she still remembers Lindsay. She, she was always very well put together and uh, took a lot of pride in a good way in, you know, in, her, in how she presented herself. Helen says she remembers Jason, too, describing him and Lindsay as a perfect match. He was a nice young man. He, he's, he, he was also very, um, he, he looked after himself well, and they made a lovely couple because they, they, it was something that was very important to both of them. Lindsay's friend, Vicki Mackey, says she learned more about Jason Zalo on one of her and Lindsay's regular walks. I remember going for a walk with her because that's one of the things we often did together, and uh, she was just going on about how he was such a great guy and he, you know, they had so much to talk about. And she really looked up to the fact that he he was in the real estate industry and her mo- and his mom was too. Jason's mother, Shirley, was already established in real estate when her son and Lindsay started dating. Something Vicky says appealed to Lindsay. It seemed like she was like, you know, um, happy with his mom and, you know, excited to be a part of their their circle. I tell Vicky what Tudor Helen Jones told me, that Lindsay and Jason were ideally suited. Was that your impression too? Oh yeah, totally. Um, they were like a power couple. Vicky says Lindsay looked up to Jason and saw him as someone she could achieve her dreams with. He was a little further ahead than her, just being older, so he was a bit more of an established realtor and she was just starting out. She was very drawn to that uh, because she was so focused on her career and she wanted to do so well and she was a hard worker. And they they seemed at the beginning like they you could conquer anything. 
soon after dating, Vicky says Lindsay and Jason's relationship took off. Her, her and Jason moved very quickly. I think that they had only dated for not very long before they started living together. Vicky says she visited the condo in December 2007, just weeks before Lindsay's murder. It was quite nice. I think it had just been built. It was right on the waterfront, um, like in the Victoria Inner Harbor. And it was very modern looking. Vicky says she had gone to the condo to invite Lindsay to a Christmas party, something she says Lindsay would normally like to go to. But after getting together with Jason, Vicky says she noticed a change in her friend's behavior. And now Lindsay said no. Normally, Lindsay would be coming to a Christmas party with a bunch of her friends, uh, and she was certainly invited, and I was going, and I was quite surprised that she wasn't going to come with me, and I, I felt like she wasn't coming because Jason did not want her to go. Vicky says she and Lindsay went to the bathroom where they spoke out of earshot of Jason. And so she was putting my hair extensions in for me, not coming to the party. Normally, the old Lindsay would have been coming to the Christmas party. Um, but she was whispering so that Jason wouldn't hear her. And she's basically telling me that she wanted to get out of this relationship and that she wasn't happy. I know that another one of Lindsay's friends told a similar story to Czech News and that A News, now called CTV Vancouver Island, reported three more friends were aware that Lindsay was considering breaking up with Jason. In the Dateline NBC episode, I can see that Jason is also interviewed by Josh Mankowitz, who asks him about these apparent relationship troubles. You know there are people out there who say that she was getting ready to pull the plug and move on. Mm -hmm. Any truth to that, as far as you know? There's none, no. There's no truth to that. Dateline appears to ask Jason if he was involved in Lindsay's murder. Jason denies being involved. I want people to know that uh, I love Lindsay. I think about her every day. Um... I want this case solved as fast as possible. I had nothing to do with it. After hearing from Sarah, Vicky, Matt, and others, I reach out to Jason again to see if he'll talk. Before Capital Daily is engaged in a legal battle for access to court documents, I also reach out to Saanich Police to ask about interviewing the primary investigator in Lindsay's case. I eventually hear from an officer named Marcus Anastasiades, who says the investigator will not be available for an interview. In addition, Marcus says the SPD, quote, will not be providing any interviews regarding this case, end quote. I try him again many months later with a letter detailing all of the questions from my reporting. In a response, Marcus says the SPD can't comment on an open and active investigation. <clears throat> test, test. Hello. Oh, hi, Xander. This is Richard Neary, a trial lawyer in Victoria. In part because the SPD won't talk to me, I'm going to be asking Richard to help me gain access to court documents, which should tell me more about what police found. So in the course of uh, investigating this matter, uh, the police applied for and were granted somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 judicial authorizations. Um, the application process for those judicial authorizations involves the police laying out for a, a judge uh, why that judge ought to do what they're asking them to do or grant them the power. Richard says anytime police want to get additional authority to do something, they have to lay their case out to a judge 
who immediately seals that evidence so the public can't get it. But after all this time, Richard says we should be able to lift those seals through a special process, something he says could have an impact. There's going to be extremely intense interest um, in this community and the idea of that such a horrific crime has gone unsolved and what's a relatively small place and a relatively peaceful place, although of course we have our problems. Um, it's a very big deal here and there's going to be very intense interest. And just like Richard says, it's not long before word gets out. These clips are from CTV News. The unsolved murder of a Victoria realtor is back in the spotlight tonight after the release of new documents that take us inside the police investigation. Twelve years ago... The Capitol Daily fought in court to have the documents released. As a result of further court proceedings, Capitol Daily expects to be able to reveal more about the murder of Buziak from police files. Island is hosted, written, and produced by Xander Sherman. The associate producer is John Miller. Audio production and sound effects by Rory Jordan-Stevens. Original music by Rory Jordan-Stevens and Sarah Spring. Transcriptions by Martha Beach and Anne Denning. Research and fact-checking by Abby Bennett. Next up, episode three, The Unsealing. 